Well, the dreaded Sunday has arrived again. Trinity Sunday. My theology professor, James Griffiths, the Williams Adams Professor of Philosophical and Systematic Theology at Neshota House, said most clergy, when they start to preach on the Trinity, get all tied up and at the end throw their hands up and say, well, it's all a very great mystery. And it is. That's the truth. So before I start to preach on the readings, uh, we, we maybe need to say something about the idea of mystery and what it means. Most of us think a mystery is something that uh, we is obscure, that we can't understand, that is... Uh, uh, unknowable in some form or another. But another definition of mystery uh, is the skills, lore, and practices peculiar to a particular activity or group. So I mention that because it's possible to say that a mystery and the mystery of God is something that is in fact infinitely knowable. And I don't think this is a stretch because most of us uh, in our particular vocations, if we have stuck with them or applied ourselves, or if we have a hobby or an interest that has been a consuming passion in our lives, we start out not knowing very much about it all, and as we move forward, uh, we begin to understand it in a deeper and fuller way. So the mysteries of what it, uh, what it is uh, become less in terms of obscure but more in terms of saying, I haven't by any means learned the full uh, story yet by any stretch of the imagination. I started learn to learn to cook because I thought it was a great mystery. When I was a kid, my, you know, the women, in the, they were the ones that did all the cooking. And uh, I, I thought, how, you know, what does all this mean? So, for example... After a while, if, some, if you read something in a recipe and it says, uh, reduce by half. <laughs> well, what do you do? Well, you boil it off until it comes down to where it's supposed to be, right? Well, I did not know that. It was a great mystery, and then I learned. The same thing, you pour into a prepared pan. What do you take the pan out? The pan? I'm ready. <laughs> how, how do we understand that prepared pan? It was a great mystery. Then I figured out what that was and why you needed to do it. Otherwise, it'd stick if you were baking it in the oven. So it was an important thing to to uh, unpack as a mystery. So I don't think it's uh, a stretch to say that we can understand mystery uh, in that sense. Alan Jones says, because of, because of God's infinity and essential unknowability, revelation in the Bible and in creation must contain infinite multiplicity of meanings. So that's why it's important for us to be uh, aware of how mystery draws us in to uh, understand more deeper and more fully. The readings today are uh, uh, certainly the first one from Proverbs is a commercial message for the Revised Common Lectionary because we read again from Proverbs about woman wisdom. That's what it says in the, in the uh, Hebrew text. 
And this is about learning something about God, uh, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. Because what's being spoken of here is the source of primordial wisdom, as John McQuarrie would say, thought thinking itself, right? It's the, the great mover. What, that's the moment when the Godhead decides to move out. One of the great mysteries is if we have a self-contained being, self-contained in itself, why does it need to move out and create? Or why did it decide to do that? And so this is about the wisdom tradition being a way to understand the nature of God and how it's imparted to human beings so that they can appropriate and understand what that means. You know, family life in the ancient Near East was driven by women running the home and teaching practical wisdom to the members of the family, men and women. And so by extension, as men assumed their roles in this particular hierarchy at the time, they were the ones who had received the woman wisdom in order to be able to do that in an external way in terms of governance and in terms of understanding how to relate to one another in some ways. So it's a beginning of understanding the Trinity as a uh, template that we lay over ourselves because we are Trinitarian beings too and uh, made in God's image. So in the reading from Proverbs, we have this idea of wisdom and its importance. You know, if you, we could get in a time machine and go back to the ancient Near East during the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus and ask people who had seen, heard him speak or see him do some stuff. And they would say, well, who is Jesus? What do you think? Who is Jesus? Uh, many of them would have said he's a mashal. He's a teacher of wisdom. Mm -hmm. So, and it isn't that he was uh, ripping off little one-liners, you know, about stuff. But it was a way of uh, beginning to understand our humanity in a deeper and fuller way and uh, that wisdom was part of the way in which people uh, put two and two together in the ancient Near East. Wouldn't it be nice if that were so today? A little more wisdom might be necessary. It uh, would be a good idea. Just think, um, when I say this, we're not speaking of sort of deep stuff all, all the time. We're speaking of practical wisdom, how to function on a daily basis in a way that is... Um, going to be fruitful both for yourself and for other people. You know, how do you develop the internal self-regulation and stamina to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of you? In the reading from Romans, uh, this isn't really related to the Trinity, but I'm on this jag, you know, about justification. So Paul today in Romans speaks, this is one of the places where he said we are justified by faith. And it's important to begin to understand this uh, in a deep, maybe too obscure, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Uh, when Paul says that we are justified by God, a lot of our describing what that means and the essential nature of justification by faith comes from the Reformation. 
So we're answering the questions that Martin Luther and John Calvin wanted to ask and others about how are we saved. And people for a long time said, well, we're not really that interested in what Paul meant by it when he said it. And how he, stood, he understood it in, the, in, the, in his life and in the world. So the words that are used to describe this have to do with being in a court of law. When you are justified, diakosaini, it means that the judge has declared you innocent, not guilty. The judge has not said you're a good person. The judge has made no comment about your character. And that's why in this, Paul is speaking about the processes of justification afterwards, understanding now that God has let you off the hook. You are in a position to develop and strengthen and deepen your character. Years ago, I heard a lecture from John Sanford, an Episcopal priest who was also a Jungian therapist. He was from San Diego. He's famous. And uh, he talked about uh, character. And he said one of the ways of understanding character is to understand it as living your life according to certain principles. Living your life according to certain principles. And when you do that, you develop habits of being and relating uh, that can be godly <coughs> and that are good for you and good for everybody that you come in contact with. So when Paul speaks about justification, it's that narrow moment where you realize that you have now been declared innocent. You have not <laughs> been declared uh, in some way uh, off the hook for what you did. You just got to buy for it. God did that for you. That's how that works. Many biblical scholars, New Testament scholars, there's something you can major your friends if they're interested in it. Um, called The New Perspective on Paul. It's been going on for about 35 years or more. And what uh, in this new perspective, there are lots of different views within it, but one of them is the centerpiece of Paul's understanding of how God works in our lives is not uh, justification by faith through grace, being declared innocent or not guilty, but participation in Christ. And what that means is, is that, it, that, that Paul understands that we are in because of our belief in Christ. We're not in because of anything that we do. So the great question he was trying to answer for himself and with the controversialists in the churches that he founded who would write letters to him and he back to them was to say, you know, the way we should understand this is Jews who believe in the Messiahship of Jesus, you, you don't, it, it's not keeping the law that keeps you in. It doesn't have anything to do with keeping law. If you wish to continue to keep the law, keep the law. But a Gentile who wants to come in is in because of belief in Christ, and you're in because of belief in Christ, not anything else. This was the question, and one of them he was trying to answer. That people were, were, you know, people want to know. And what is it? Belief in Christ. Participation in Christ is what it's called. And flowing out of that are all of the spiritual practices and uh, worship life 
really, for example, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's all about participation. It's all about theosis. It's all about uh, as we live our lives and mature and deepen our character, we become less unlike God. So that's the lived practice that results from belief in Christ. It produces uh, that kind of response. It's not done in order to get in or stay in. It's done because you believe in Christ. So if somebody hounds you about that, lay it on them. Uh, John's Gospel has uh, one of the great lines in the whole of his Gospel, in my opinion. And it has so much relevance to the church today uh, about the work of the Spirit. When we hear Jesus say, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I have many things to say, but you cannot bear them now. And so what is happening in John's gospel and with the, the community who wrote that uh, understood that in their own common life together, they're beginning to have the spirit revealed to them. Things that were not said directly by the Savior, but were part of how they understood their, their community life and what their mission was in the, in the church and in the world. And they began to see that. And the other production thing that was produced by this is that they began to see things come up that had not come up before. So we might say this far away from, from the writing of John's Gospel... How now do we understand uh, the work of the Spirit in the midst of the lived practices and lives of the people who call themselves Christians? The pastoral experience of the church. What does it teach you about how people should be treated? What does it teach you about how we ought to organize our community? Not just in the church, but also in the wider world. What kind of a society do we want to live in? Right? And if we make a decision about that kind of thing, then we have to say, we are beginning to understand, oh, here's another one of the things that uh, the Savior said, I have many things to say to you, but I cannot, you cannot bear them now. Well, where did these things come from? They came from the Spirit. And what Spirit are we talking about? We're talking about God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen us. So the shared experience of the church, that voice, is from us. God's revelatory practices now have moved into the community of faith. The Spirit now is present among us. It's not just present in Jesus in his earthly ministry. And so we can begin to understand that more deeply and more fully about what it is that we're talking about. And when I'm speaking of this, I'm talking about all of the issues that over the last 35 or 40 years have beset uh, the mainline churches, the Episcopal Church included, about what it is, what is the role of women in our common life? How do we treat our uh, lesbian and gay uh, friends? What is it that we need to do about our common economic life together? What is it, how do is it that we want to organize ourselves and what is it that we want to do? And we get that because we get it from the different voices who are telling us their lived stories. I mean, this is a, a personal testimony that I'm giving you because I've been a pastor now for nearly 40 years and you've heard a lot, heard a lot of stories. Ernest Cockrell has heard a lot of stories. And those stories affect 
uh, how we think about things and how we th feel that we need to see them uh, come, come uh, move in a different direction. You know, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You know, part of it is, uh, as they say in human dynamics today, how are we going to manage the change? Right? How do you manage the change? Right? Because when you do that, it's, uh, it's not easy. And uh, there are lots of uh, fixed opinions and so forth. So I would guess the assignment this week is to remind yourself that you are a Trinitarian being. Uh, the uh, scholastic theologians would say one of the ways you know that is because you have a memory, a reason, and a will. Or you could say, like Dr. John McQuarrie is, God the Father is primordial being, God the Son is expressive being, the humanity uh, that we all share, and understanding Jesus is the template that we lay over our own life as we live and move forward in faith. And spirit is unitive being, which is the process that seeks to bring us together. There's a wonderful icon, many of you may have seen it, the uh, Eastern Orthodox icon of the Holy Trinity. And they're all sitting in a room having a, a bowl of wine together as a community, a shared life. And it's from that shared life that it moves out into the wider community so that we can um, live as Trinitarian people. That's why this is so important. It's true, Karl Rahner, the great Jesuit theologian of the 20th century said, if the doctrine of the Trinity disappeared at 8 a.m. tomorrow, there are a lot of people who wouldn't miss it. Right? Probably true. But the fact of the matter is that it is absolutely central to our common life. So this week, think about how important it might be to you and see if you can find any examples in your own life where some aspect of God's, the Trinity's work in your life has uh, uh, been present to you and you've understood it even if for a split second. Amen. <laughs>